You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab one, turn to Psalm 116. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. And we are excited to continue in the the Psalms together as we've looked at a few of those over the course of the last uh, couple months. And we're going to uh, finish the summer looking at these. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, uh, you could grab one. There's a black one uh, that you can grab and follow along with us. You can turn to page 537 uh, to follow along with us. And as we start this morning... Uh, as we come to Psalm 116, this is a psalm about thankfulness. As we come to today, as we uh, pray a, a prayers of thanksgiving, as we sing songs of thanksgiving towards the Lord, there are times that we can come to the Bible, we can come to worship, we can come to our own quiet times, we can come to our families and our jobs, and we cannot be thankful for all the Lord has given us, all the things that He has provided all the ways in which he has shown himself to be faithful thanksgiving thankfulness is not a quality or a characteristic that comes natural to us in fact i think we see it's very easy for us to be the opposite to complain But what the psalmist shows us here in Psalm 116 is that we have a God in which we can trust and hope and ultimately be thankful. And so as we start this morning, here's what we're going to see in the text. The psalmist recounts God's deliverance from death through thanksgiving. He proclaims God's goodness because he has saved him and he does this by giving thanks. Now, if you are a disciple today, someone who has actually given their faith to Jesus, what should you do today? How should you respond? Well, for us, church, I pray that we may cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving based on who God is and His salvation. We're not talking about just being thankful for the things that He does the things that he gives but first and foremost we start by being thankful for his salvation that we are a people who confess a gospel that has so changed us that the outworking of our faith is a thankful and grateful heart so what does a thankful church look like What doesn't a thankful church look like? I think when we talk about being a thankful church, a church that is being gracious to others, but an unthankful church is people who have an entitlement attitude. That we think that we deserve this. That every decision that is made is should be... Uh, should, I should be involved in that. Or this should be what we do because I am a part of it. Or there's frustration... And that frustration can lead to anger. And that anger can lead us to leave the faith altogether. You see that 
just based on not being thankful that can lead us down a road in which we become the center of the story. But what if, but what if we are a thankful church? What does that look like? A thankful church are people who trust the Lord over all things. They are gracious and kind. They hope they know that their security is not based in the world's protection. Not based in anything else other than that the Lord God loves them and cares for them. And something that the psalmist didn't even get to recognize or feel or experience is that we have a God who sent His own Son into the world to die for you and me. That's the security that we come to when we read Psalm 116. This psalm is, is infectious. It, it, it cultivates gratitude and delight. It shows us what a true prayer of thanksgiving looks like. It shows us what it looks like to have your, your prayers answered. It shows us how to respond. It shows us how to cultivate gratitude. And then really, the psalm is separated into two sections. Verses 1-11 through 11 and verses 12 through 19. And verses 1 through 11, this is, the psalmist recounts the situation that the Lord has saved him from and the circumstances that he called out to Yahweh for. And in the second section, verses 12 through 19, the, the poem, the, the psalm, shifts from talking about what God has done to what he will do now in response. So may we not come to Psalm 116 and, and hear it and have it read and be preached to, but may we come to Psalm 16 and hear God speak and then respond to it. May we hear God speak and then actually act. This is what the psalmist does. So, this morning as we walk through the text, here's what we're going to see. We're gonna, I want to show you seven reasons to be thankful. Seven reasons to be thankful. So, number one. First reason to be thankful. God hears our cries. God hears our cries in times of distress. Look there verse 1. I love the Lord because He has heard my appeal for mercy. Because He has turned His ear to me. I will call on Him as long as I live. The psalmist brings us to the heart toward loving God. God does not just do something for us, but He is with us. And the psalmist says, I love Him. But notice why He loves Him. God has heard His voice. His appeal, His request for mercy. In the midst of all that God has going on, God hears this request. God knows what's going on. He actually has an ear towards this request. God holds the entire universe together. He keeps the earth spinning in the right direction. He keeps His focus not just on the stars, but on you. We can fool ourselves into thinking that or believing that God does not hear our cries. That God does not know our prayers. That God does not hear our requests. That somehow He is deaf to us. But our God is not far away. He is close and He is near to us. Understand God's perspective is much bigger than ours. God knows. The great A.W. Tozer said this, God never hurries. 
There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits and to relax our nerves. We, as we've already read here in Psalm 116, there's hard times. But the psalmist loves God not because of what he does, but because of he hears him. He knows him. He, he actually trusts him. And as Tozer said, God does not always work on our behalf in our time when we think it should happen. But God is at work even in the midst of all those things. And notice that it's the past tense. God heard this cry. God's hearing leads to a lasting assurance in the psalmist. He knows he can actually trust God in the future. He says he will call on the Lord forever. That's lifelong. There is no circumstance that can shape him differently now because the God of the universe has heard him. Do you see the actions of God as faithful to prompt you, to prompt us to respond a certain way in the future? Whatever may be in front of you, whatever decision is in front of you right now, do you trust that God is in control and that He hears you? He knows. He knows what you're going through and He is there. The Gospel proclaims to us that we have done nothing, but He has done something in Christ in the past. Something that we cannot see, but something that we hold on to. Nonetheless, that we can't see it, we trust Him because He has heard us. You can be assured that God hears your prayers. You can be assured that God knows what's going on in your life today, in this moment. So trust Him. Trust Him and worship Him only in the midst of all other things. God hears your cry. And we can be thankful because of that. The second reason to be thankful. God delivers us because of His character. God delivers us because of His character. Look there at verse 3. The robes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. The psalmist recounts now the situation that he was in. Recounts what God has done in the past. How He delivered him from death. And this is what causes him to express this thanksgiving. Notice the situation. Death and Sheol were, were around him. They were chasing after him, but they actually already had their grip on him. The psalmist is not running away from death. No, death actually has its grip already around him. Death was wrapped, meaning it surrounded the psalmist like a victim. Death is mentioned three times in this psalm as the main enemy, and Sheol another couple times. Death is like a hunter. Death is the hunter going after the psalmist, trying to encompass him, to wrap him, to catch him. Death has wrapped its arms, its ropes around him. It could have been sickness, it could have been a wound, it could have been death itself. But death and Sheol, the grave, had their arms around the psalmist. In verse 4, he says, Then I called out to the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. 
The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless and He saved me. In the midst of being gripped by death and Sheol, the psalmist remembers one thing. Call on the name of the Lord. This was an urgent request for deliverance. It was only God and only He who could deliver him from this circumstance. It was only God that could provide relief and safety. Why can the psalmist cry out in this way? Why can the psalmist call the name of the Lord? Because of His character. Because of who He is. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Which means God will always do the right thing. And provide deliverance to those who deserve it. God will always do the right thing. He is holy. He cannot sin. Therefore, He cannot sin against you. Therefore, you can trust Him. The character of God is the basis for which we can call upon Him. I've shared before with you that, that someone's name in the Old Testament actually was wrapped up in their character. So when Yahweh told us His name, it means something. He stakes His character on His name. God's name declares to all people in all times, in all places, that He is ready and able to save. And He is compassionate to anyone who will call on His name. So the question still remains though, how do we cultivate this kind of thanksgiving? We must think and pray and ponder God's character. We must think about what and who God is. We need to read beautiful passages in Exodus and here in Psalms and, and, and other places that the, the writers, they proclaim, our God is gracious and kind and merciful and steadfast in love and worthy to be praised. God's Word shows us the beautiful character of our God. Not, to, not in a way that is to hold it over us, but a way in which we are encouraged to trust Him, encouraged to praise Him, encouraged to be like Him. And so when we read the Scriptures, specifically the Scriptures that talk about who God is, may they shape us so much and cultivate a heart of thanksgiving in us. God delivers us because of His character. And this helps us grow in thanksgiving. That we have a God who is gracious and kind and merciful and righteous and holy. We can trust Him. We can be thankful to Him. Third reason we can be thankful this morning. God rescues us from death to life. Look there at verse 7. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescue me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. You can imagine, and maybe you've even felt the pressure of the anxiety of death's grip around you. When we live in a constant state of running, we will never be able to rest. When we always fear death, we will never stop running. As we look across our world, as we even look maybe closer to home, look at our communities, our workplaces, our own households, the world is working to avoid death. The world is trying to outrun the pains of death. But in the end, this 
constant running from death actually feeds on itself. You've seen the movies and the TV shows that portray the person that's trying to get out of, of the constraints of this life and move on to something else, but in fact, they end up either dying or they end up being the cause of death to other people. When you run from death, you're running like a hamster on a wheel. The only answer to this constant running is rest. Rest from God who rescues us from death, not ourselves. That we rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we could do nothing, we could not run, we could not change our circumstances, but we could rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to fear death or avoid it. Since we've laid our lives down already. We've died to ourselves in Christ. We no longer have to fear death or fear the circumstances because our God has raised us to new life. And we are people now no longer bound and chained by death, but freed to flourish in life here and in the life to come. We can rest in Jesus because He, He is the one who didn't run from death, but He ran to it. And He laid down His life for you and for me. And now He, who has now been able to take up His life, now offers that life to you and me. That's rest. That you know that God has you no matter what. We will not be able to save ourselves. And the psalmist understands this. Verse 8 emphasizes that it's the Lord who rescued him from death. But the salvation is not just an external uh, from death, it's also an internal change. The psalmist has been changed because his focus has been now on God. Notice that salvation is a whole salvation. It's complete. Notice there, from, from my eyes all the way down to my feet, I have been saved. And then he says in verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. In light of this salvation, the psalmist now will walk. He will live before the Lord. He is freely able to walk with God and enjoy being in the presence of God. There is no fear of death in the land of the living. And now anyone who was delivered by God will be able to enjoy Him and the people that He saves. And we know the depths that God has gone through to save us, that should cultivate a heart of thanksgiving in us. Knowing what God has taken us out of and provided to us should cultivate thanksgiving. Churches, we've said to you many times, we never graduate from the gospel, ever. We must always recite it and pray it and sing it and think it and hear it all the time. We must be reminded of the depths God went to to save us. Reason number four, we can be thankful. God earns our complete trust. God earns our complete trust. Look there at verse 10. I believe even when I said I am severely oppressed, in my alarm I said everyone is a liar. In the midst of death chasing him and being delivered by the Lord, the psalmist is still able to recount his belief. Faith and trust are an underlying uh, attitude in this psalm. 
And they really propel the psalmist into thanksgiving. It is faith and trust which are the foundation to the psalmist's relationship with God. But notice, I believe, and in the next phrase, even when I am severely oppressed. This oppression, what the psalmist means is to be bowed down before someone else, to be forced into submission by another, and really to have affliction put upon you. It's this idea of being powerless. You can do nothing to change your circumstance. And remember, a person who is trapped and beat down by the grave is powerless to defeat that grave. Is this not the realization of every Christian? That we are unable to do anything about our sin? Destined to be separated from God? Destined to to be placed in a place that's horrible and horrific that we could never pay for our sin? It would take us millions of years to pay for our sin. But in the midst of our weakness, God worked in Jesus Christ to provide salvation to us. This is what God has done. But we live in a culture that doesn't see a need for salvation. Sees no need for salvation. I've been uh, with some of you. We've went out and knocked on doors in our community and we we just knock on the door, provide someone a a gift bag. Hey, hey, we're from down the street. We want to we want to pray for you or anything, we can pray for you today. I mean, I, I can't, can't count on, on both of my hands how many times that people have said, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. They don't understand that, yes, there is a need. But, and a lot of times, the church can, can actually help this by not talking about us being separated by God from our sin. And we have to be very clear that we are separated from Him. But we can trust God because He's the one who entered into that and has taken care of that. We must show that there is a real need for change, a real need for salvation and provide the real solution, which is Jesus. We don't need to have our heads up in the clouds and think that everything is fine. But we show people that the true reality of a broken world and then show them that the only answer is Jesus. Because if we're honest, we can all show people the real brokenness of the world. We have to be real about that. We have to show people what that looks like. And I also want you to understand, to feel or acknowledge your situation, whether it's weakness or fear or anxiety or doubt, that is no proof that faith is not there. No proof. It's exactly what happens here. Instead, calling out to God in the midst of those feelings or circumstances is actually the, the, the true showing of faith. I grew up in a time where it was, it was not okay to ask questions of God. You were, just said, you were just told, hey, just have faith. That's not what the psalmist does here. The psalmist questions God. He, he, he's worried. He says, this is my situation. What is going on? It is okay to be honest with God. He already knows. He can handle it. He can handle your anger and fear and doubt. He can handle your questions because He is big enough and gracious enough to deal with us. You do not have to be afraid. What we have to do is trust Him and have our faith solely in him 
in the midst of anything. Not because we have enough faith in ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying because you have faith in the Savior of the world, that He has given His life for you, you can be thankful because of that. You can have faith because of Jesus. So why? Why can we trust God and go on to Him even in those doubts and questions? Where else would we go? What other place could we go to? The psalmist understands this situation. He says, everyone's a liar. What he means is that God is the only one who will not let him down. God is the only one worth placing your faith in. And that ultimately, we are not dependable. People will let you down. God is our only source of hope. God is our only source of hope. And now it's really easy to look at the church, to look at, to look at us, if we're really honest, to look at the church at large and to think, gosh, there are a bunch of hypocrites in the church. But to not trust God because of hypocrites is like not trusting your surgeon because people die. We are our imperfect reflection now because of sin of God. And even though we've been saved and reconciled to Him, we are still not perfect. We can trust Him even though other people let us down. We can trust Him even though that there are situations that are difficult and hard. God is our only hope. He has earned our trust. If we take verses 10 and 11 now and look all the way back to the rest of the psalm, God has earned our trust. God has done what's necessary for us. And we can be thankful. We can be thankful because He has shown Himself to be faithful to us. Reason number five. God provides the testimony. God provides the testimony. Look there at verse 12. He says, How can I repay the Lord for all the good that He has done to me? In light of all that God has done, this delivering from death, He now, the psalmist, asks an appropriate question. How can I repay the Lord? The psalm now turns turns from the past now to the future. He looks toward what's going to happen and moves from remembering what God has done to now focusing on what he, the psalmist, is going to do. So what does that look like? It looks like testimony. This is what it looks like. It looks like providing testimony. So there at verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. And I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. This cup, which is referencing the drink offering and the law, but also in some ways references the, the cup of God's wrath that's to come to those who are apart from Him, is a testimony of the psalmist to the Lord. Much like a toast at a wedding, this cup represents the testimony about who God is and what He's done. This cup can also be understood as the cup of salvation, which suggests that this salvation is God's gift to us rather than our gift to Him. This cup is our response to God's salvation. Doesn't this display the very nature of the Gospel? We were first given the gift of salvation through Christ. We were seed before we could ever give anything. And all we can give now is gratefulness and thanksgiving. God is the one who brought, provides salvation. We now get to offer that testimony of being rescued 
from the jaws of death, not just to God, but to everyone. I think we've lost this at some level in our worship gatherings. As Pastor Ryan and I have talked about how do we continue to be a people who are encouraged by the gospel, being challenged by the gospel, we're thinking about how do we celebrate? How do we testify to what God has done? For those of us who are going through difficulty, testimony and celebration, it reminds us that God is still working. For those of us who are, are going through joyful times, times of testimony and celebration, remind us that we still need God each and every day. Testimony and celebration are what we need. And God has been the one that provides that to us. And we should give testimonies of thanksgiving to God. Now, look at number six. The second, or the sixth reason for us to be thankful. God values all life. Look at verse 15. The death of His faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant. You're the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. And verse 10 uh, here, all the way up to verse 15, it can be hard to understand what's going on uh, in a couple ways. But it's highly important for us to take the context of the previous verses all the way back to 10 to understand what's going on here. First, I want to consider the context of the entire psalm. Notice how death is viewed. Death is not viewed as a good thing. Death is viewed as a negative thing. Remember, the psalmist is running from the grips of death. And secondly, faithful ones is a category for God's people and people who walk in the righteousness before Him and others. Therefore, it's not a good thing when people, these righteous ones, die. Okay, so when, with these two observations in mind, I think it's best to understand this word valuable as costly. So it would be the death of God's faithful ones is costly in the Lord's Sight. Again, what do we mean here? Death is costly because life is valuable. Death is costly because life is valuable. Death is encroaching in our world like roaches into a home. That's what death has done. It's trying to creep its way into everything that we do. And it's so heinous. It's so costly to God. And in light of death being this cause of the psalmist returns to the idea of confinement, being trapped. That's what he means when he talks about a servant being bonded. And as a servant, he does not have the ability to change his situation. And on top of that, his life as a slave would not be very much. It wouldn't be worth anything at all. But God acted anyway. He delivered him anyway. He loosened his bonds Anyways, God has done only what God can do. Our God is zealous to deliver people from death. And His concern, that concern, overrides whatever status we may hold. We can thank God because He, he values us. We are valued by Him no matter our lot, our circumstances, or worth in this life. We must value all of life. You must understand that you are valued to God. The unborn, orphans, 
Immigrants, traffic, poor, rich, famous, celebrities, everyone matters if they are made by God. If they, if, and what we know is that everyone on this planet has been made by God and therefore they are valued by Him. We must have a whole life ethic. We must care for everyone. Ministry must be not just something that we focus in one group, but to offer to anyone who may hear the news of the gospel. God values all life. So should we. And that should cultivate thanksgiving in us. And finally, the psalmist ends here, which is reason number seven for us to be thankful. God deserves public praise. God deserves public praise. Verse 17, I will offer you a thanksgiving sacrifice. I will call the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people in the courts of the Lord's house within you, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. In light of who God is and what He's done, the psalmist returns to praising and thanking God. He offers a thanksgiving sacrifice, most likely pointing back to the cup of testimony to honor God. But this testimony is not just a personal thanksgiving. He contends that he will fulfill his vows made to the Lord and do so in the presence of God and God's people. This is done in the courts of God's house, the temple. This, these last few verses are a very public thanksgiving. It isn't just in the confines of his own home. is isn't just in the confines of his own quiet time. This thanksgiving is done in public. Remember, your testimony, your praise and thanksgiving is not only for you, it's for all of us who are walking with God. May we all be encouraged to share these stories. We need to be reminded that God is still at work. And the psalmists, they generally would have shared their psalms and their songs in community. I don't, I don't know about you, I can't write music, could never write music, but we have a few of you in the room that could probably write some music. But you most likely wouldn't just write that music just to keep it to yourself. You wouldn't write a story to keep it to yourself. You wouldn't draw a painting to keep it to yourself. You would, you would show that. You would, you would show it to others and you would tell them, look at, look at what this is. We would never hold in testimony or praise or thanksgiving. We should share it. Yes, in private, but also in public. This flame of faith is not to be withdrawn. It's not to burn out. It's to be placed in the midst of others so that it will kindle and burn and blaze longer and better and brighter. A song of thanksgiving is ultimately never about us either. A song of thanksgiving is ultimately never about us. A song of thanksgiving is about the one who has done something. It's about God. This psalm is ultimately not about us only being thankful. But we can be thankful because what God has done. What God is going to do. The gospel is beautiful news. It's, we believe it. We know it. We, we trust it. We cherish it because God has worked on our behalf. It is nothing that we did or could do to earn God's love. Instead, God's love 
is given to us despite who we are, our sin and our brokenness. The Gospel proclaims the message that God in Jesus Christ entered into the world to save sinners by offering His life to us. This psalm is ultimately not just about how do we be thankful, but we can only be thankful because of God. May we never forget that. May we never come to these psalms or to the Bible at all and think about what are the steps for me just to do the right thing? Because that's ultimately not what's going to change us. What changes us is knowing the God who has worked in the first place. Knowing the reason we can be thankful at all. You can't be thankful because of yourself. You can be thankful because you have a God who has worked to save you and who loves you. That's why we can be thankful. Pray with me. Oh God, we ask you today to hear us just as this psalmist did. And we know, we have confidence that you hear us today. We pray that whatever circumstances are going on today, that we may find an attitude and disposition of thankfulness. May we be motivated and will we cultivate thanksgiving in our lives? Would we help each other do that? Would we share the stories of what you're doing in us? Would you share the stories of how you've helped us fight sin and you've answered these prayer requests and this is how we're growing and this is how we see other people grow? Well, may we do that. May you encourage us to do so. God, we need you so very much. We're so thankful that you have entered into our brokenness and at our most needed time. Even when we don't see you, even when it's difficult, we know you're there and we know you hear us. And for that, may we be ever thankful. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.